Welcome, and once again, Robert Nauer, Unfiltered. This is Season 2, Episode 20, entitled Blowing the Whistle with Jack Anderson, the famous muckraking reporter. Back in 1983, just after I left the USS San Jose, and a couple incidents that soured me on the Navy and that ship and that captain, I decided that in order for me to live with myself, I had to blow the whistle on the commanding officer of the USS San Jose and several other officers. And that is something that is a really difficult decision to go against the Navy blow the whistle on the Navy because the Navy doesn't like people blowing the whistle on it and uncovering its dirty laundry. And so I did. During my tenure aboard the USS San Jose, which was relatively short, I saw Captain Melvin D. Munsinger, the commanding officer, Victor Ackley, the XO, the ops officer, Uh, use weapons against a pod of endangered species, sperm whales. And as in the sake of having fun, if you can call it that, Melvin D. Munsinger, Victor Ackley, who was a commander, the ops officer at the time, and the chaplain who was on the bridge with them when they were shooting and taking target practice at an orange 55-gallon drum, Um, they obliterated an entire pod of sperm whales. I was incensed. I heard this crazy... It was a Sunday morning, and we were in the Indian Ocean. The sea was like glass. It was like you could walk on the sea. It was so flat. And at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, I heard this rat-a-tat-tat-tat, rat-a-tat, pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop, like automatic gunfire. And like anybody, I was making my rounds of a cargo hold at the time to just do general inspections. And I heard this rapid automatic fire going off. And I said, what the hell is that? So I went up to the main deck and I I saw these sprays of gunfire out in the distance. So I got my binoculars and I looked, and what I saw was a 55-gallon oil drum that had been painted orange, uh, bullets spraying and strafing near it. But I also saw some sperm whales right near it. So I immediately ran to the very top of the ship, the signal bridge, to get a better view of what was going on. And in doing so, I saw the commanding officer, the XO of the ship, the ops officer, all taking target practice with M16s against this uh, oil drum. Now, I found out from the signal bridge that the signal bridge had alerted the commanding officer and the XO to the fact that there were some sperm whales, a pot of sperm whales with two or three baby calves in the area. And they shouldn't be opening fire on those oil drums 
because uh, they would hit the whales. The captain's response was, who gives a fuck? We're here to take targets practice, not worry about a bunch of fucking whales. And so they did, and they ended up killing the entire pod of sperm whales, which were all felonies, killing endangered species. I ran back down feverishly to my stateroom and to others trying to find an old Betamax camera because it was 1983 and cameras were extremely large at that time. There was only really one on the ship, and that was at the forward photo locker. And they said, nope, can't give it out to you. And I wanted evidence. So I went up to see my friends in the supply department, Dave Boyd and some others, and I said, um, is there anything that you, anybody got a camera? Anybody got anything that I can take photographs of? Nope, nobody had cameras, believe it or not. So what it really came down to was what was written in the ship's log. And there were some entries in the ship's log about taking target practice and the fact that the sperm whales were in the area. And I had to get a copy of that log. But I ran down to the main deck, and they were still firing at the whales and firing at the target indiscriminately. And I looked up at the chaplain of the ship, who was a um, Methodist chaplain at the time, and I said, what the fuck? Why aren't you doing something as a chaplain to try to stop them from killing these whales? And he, all, he gave me what we all call the reserve salute, like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I can do. What, I'm just a chaplain. What a pussy. So I yelled up at the captain and the XO. I said, what the fuck is the matter with you people? I said, what the fuck is the matter with you people? And they looked at me with disdain down on the main deck. I said, are you all fucking crazy? What you're doing is illegal. They ignored me. So all I could do was document it, a memo for the record for whenever my ship got back in port. And my plan was at some point, it, initially it wasn't to turn them in, initially it wasn't to blow the whistle, but then things just got worse on the ship. I had already reported aboard, and the uh, captain had stolen over a quarter million dollars of government property, tires, and other things that he had sold off in the Philippine market to make favors with the local politicians there. That was all illegal under a, a different supply officer. And um, shit like that does happen. But that's not the straw that broke the camel's back. The whales was the start of it. But then uh, I got reports um, because I had, had been in a car accident before the ship could deploy um, to Korea, to Pusan Harbor. Um, and that the captain had ordered the ship to steam directly across a Korean fishing fleet, which is illegal. It's a violation of rules of the road and international law, and that several Korean fishermen were killed in that incident. I got w records from the signal bridge on that incident, too, and I've included a part of that in my book called Murder on Steel Beach, if anybody wants to read it. So it after my ship got back and I had my car accident, I had plenty of time to think in the hospital and while recovering. And um, I said, this I just can't 
be anymore. I, this is not what I consider to be an honorable experience being in the Navy. So I resigned my commission, and uh, my intent was to go back to the United States to blow the whistle on uh, Melvin D. Munsinger, Victor Ackley, and, and the bunch that were involved in the running over the Korean fishing trawler fleet and killing the endangered species, as well as the other things. So I did. I headed back to, um, on a job hunting trip, and I stayed with a friend of mine, C Commander uh, Shep Thornberry, who was commander at the Naval Reserve Center in Philadelphia. And I went down to Washington, D.C. first to see um, the, the Jack Anderson, who was a muckraking reporter of um, national re renown. And I met with one of his reporters uh, in his offices, and I told them the story of what I'd seen, who I was, and and I said, I'm about to go have a meeting at the Washington Navy Yard for the Navy Inspector General because I'm going to tell them my story of all this corruption and criminal behavior by the captain of the ship. And um, I said, I would like you, one of your reporters, to come with me and pretend to be my brother. Because if they find out you're a reporter, they won't let you in. Because I want to have a witness to this conversation. So Jack Anderson had one of his young reporters come with me, somebody that would look like my brother, my age. And this reporter went with me, pretending to be my brother. And we went into the discussions. And I, I, I did a, about a two-and-a-half to three-hour interview with the Navy Inspector General, laying out my story of misdeeds and wrongdoing by my commanding officer. And the reporter played along with being uh, my brother and just there to give me moral support. Uh, at the end of the conversation with the Navy IG, they promised me that they would take swift action. Whenever they say they're going to take swift action, bullshit, they're not going to take any action. And, I, and when I left the room, I kind of felt that. I said, that's not good. So then... Um, the reporter from Jack Anderson said, I'm going to write this story up, and it's going to make the news. And it did. It made the headline news in Washington, D.C. But I also went down to see Jack Dorsey, who was a friend of mine and a reporter in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, at the Ledger Star. And I told him the same story that I told Jack Anderson's people. And Jack Dorsey made it uh, front-page news in the Norfolk uh, Ledger Star, and um, they both broke at about the same time, and that's when all shit hit the fan. Now, when that happened, I then started getting threats, because I, I was still working in Philadelphia. I had gotten a job, and I was in Philadelphia working at the Defense Industrial Supply Center. And I had, uh, I had received a phone call at my home, my apartment. I don't know how they got it, but they got it which proves that the Naval Investigative Service can get any phone number if they want to, to my landline anyway, because back then we didn't have digital phones. And uh, this Navy captain who said he was from the Navy IG, he, um, he threatened me, and he said, uh, you will never see your wife again, who was still stationed in Guam, who was enlisted, um, if you go any further with this story. Well, I already... The story had already broken, and uh, they couldn't get at me because I had resigned my commission 
by that time, but they could get at her. So then I got a letter in the mail from the um, admiral at Comnav Marianas, and he also threatened me in a letter. And he said, uh, you will never see your wife again, ever, for your actions that you took against the Navy to d disparage us and to smear our name. So uh, we will make sure that uh, you never see your wife again. I got the threat. So I took some leave, and I went back down to Washington, D.C., and I met with um, Senator Proxmire and the Chief of Staff um, for Senator Proxmire, and I spent about eight, eight hours telling him my story. And all I remember is that Senator Proxmire from Wisconsin, he told me, he said, he said, Mr. Nauer, if you're telling the truth, uh, we will convene a, a congressional investigation about this. If you're telling the truth, he says, I will go to the ends of the earth to ensure that you and your wife are safe and that nothing happens to either of you. He said, but Lord help me, son. He said, if you are lying about any of this, he says, I will fucking castrate you. And I said, sir, I'm not lying. And so they did. They convened a congressional investigation. It took about a year. They sent investigators, congressional investigators, all over the world to track down people who had been on my ship, the USS San Jose. And uh, some of them were officers, and some of them were enlisted. And um, 15 officers and enlisted all backed my story up with Senator Proxmire and said, yep, Lieutenant Nauer is telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And all of that shit and a lot more did happen. And so Senator Proxmire, when he found that out and he got his report from his lead investigator, his office called me up and the chief of staff, uh, who was a guy by the name of Doug Waller. And Doug Waller said to me, Senator Proxmire has contacted the chief of naval operations and uh, NMPC, and uh, he wants to know and they want to know where you want your wife sent to. And I said, well, I'm, I'm here in Norfolk, um, and I, I just thought off the cuff. So um, I said, um, Norfolk. I should have said Portsmouth, so she'd be on the Portsmouth side. But I said, Norfolk, where, where I was working at the time. And um, by the time I had transferred down to Norfolk from Philadelphia, because it took some time, it took about a year and a half, and uh, he said, the chief of naval operations has, has told Senator Proxmire that your wife will be picked up and put on a transport plane back to the States within the next 24 hours. And sure enough, they, they not only packed her up and gave her orders and put her on a C-141 bound for Norfolk uh, within about one hour of the chief of naval operations phone call and and when my wife finally got home to me and and i was living in portsmouth virginia she told me how it all happened she said i was at work uh, and a bunch of uh, security personnel and other personnel came in and they said we have been ordered to have you transferred back to the united states they didn't tell anybody anything. They just had orders from the Admiral at Comna Marianas and Chief of Naval Operations personal order. 
Uh, everything's being taken care of. We're going to pack up your household goods. So uh, she was still living in officer housing, even though she was married to me and I was an officer at the time. And they never moved her out of officer housing. And so they went there, household goods, packed all of our possessions up and along with her and shipped them back to the States on that C-141 transport. And all of that was done within eight hours of her being notified, you're going back to the States. She didn't even know where she was coming to. But um, all of this transpired because that stupid admiral in Comnav Marianas gave me that threatening letter, and he was stupid enough to put it in writing. And that is what uh, kanked his career, I think. Um, along with the fact that uh, when... Senator Proxmire, who was chairman of the Armed Services Committee at the time, uh, found out that everything I had said was true. He ensured that Captain Melvin D. Munsinger never made admiral, even though Munsinger did get sent to a carrier, a deep draft tour, to fleet up to admiral. Munsinger never became admiral. Uh, he would have made admiral otherwise if the congressional investigation had not convened and I hadn't blown the whistle on the Navy and on him. Uh, now, to make uh, this story even sadder than it really is, and it is pretty sad, my wife, who was an E6 at the time, uh, was made Sailor of the Year. Uh, she also was the uh, very first, uh, one of the very first enlisted females in the Navy to become SWO qualified, surface warfare officer qualified. Um, it was a new thing at the time. And that should have been a shoe-in for becoming a chief petty officer, E7, right off the bat. She could never understand why she didn't make chief petty officer when she was the, one of the first females in the Navy to make SWO, as well as Sailor of the Year. Uh, both things are automatic shoe-ins for khaki. And it wasn't until about eight years later when one of her friends that she served with at NAS Willow Grove, who had become a detailer, uh, he was a master chief by then, he had been a seaman. <laughs> he had been a, a seaman when she was like nothing. And... Um, and as he progressed in his career, I guess it was 10 years later, he became a senior chief and then a master chief. He looked into it for her and he said, he said to my wife, Linnea, I said, the reason you never got promoted, even though you should have been, is your personnel record was blacklisted. Blacklisted by the highest level of the Navy. They had a special set of codes in there for you that you were married to a troublemaker. And that is why you never made chief. And she was brokenhearted. She truly was brokenhearted because she tried not to believe that I was the reason for her never making chief. But in the reality, I was. Because I blew the whistle on the Navy. And because I resigned my commission in the Navy to do the right thing, she, um, she lost a valuable part of her career. She was forced to retire after her 20 as an E6. She should have retired as an E8 or E9, but she retired instead as an E6 because the Navy got back at her through 
because of me. So if they can't get to me, they will always get at somebody else in the family, the Navy family, if they can. Paybacks are hell. So anyway, Proxmire was a good guy. Proxmire did what he promised to do. He promised to do an investigation. He did an investigation, spent an awful lot of money on investigators, found out the truth, and he kept that captain from ever making admiral. There was nothing that he could do to keep my wife uh, from becoming a khaki. She would never make khaki because they blacklisted her. And by the time anybody else really found out, Senator Proxmire had finally died. So yeah, the Navy, I, I, to this day, I still love the Navy. I love what I did in the Navy. But the Navy has some bad eggs. It has some bad people in it from time to time. And even though they say they try to weed them out, they can't. It's too big of an institution. If you simply look at the Fat Leonard scandal of recent years, where over 150-plus Navy officers and senior enlisted have pled guilty to crimes or being under investigation, an admiral has gone to prison, a number of captains have gone are going to prison, commanders have gone to prison, all for taking bribes and gratuities and kickbacks from um, Leonard Francis they call Fat Leonard, and that's definitely a uh, podcast series everyone should listen to. I highly recommend that you all listen to the podcast Fat Leonard. It's a wonderful podcast. Uh, if I had been one of those officers that Fat Leonard had tried to bribe, uh, and in fact, uh, I would have probably ended up meeting him, I would have turned him in and I would have gone undercover with the Naval Investigative Service uh, to get him and any other officers, because that's, that's how I roll. That's how I was built. I was built by my grandfather to be a very ethical individual. So please listen to the Fat Leonard podcast series. It's wonderful. Many of my stories that I'm going to tell over the series of my podcasts are going to be about the Navy and about civil service and about government work, and then some things will be just about life in general, um, but everything that I say is going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and I don't whitewash it for anybody. Yeah, the Navy's got a lot of bad apples in it, but there are more good apples than there are bad apples, and uh, I've met some really fine, outstanding people in the Navy that I've worked with that are my friends. Uh, one of my old bosses, Commander Gordy White, just recently died of cancer. He was a truly wonderful human being. And uh, I'm sorry I had to give up my career to do the right thing, but sometimes in life, things are really difficult and you have to, you have to suffer in order to do the right thing. And so with that, I'm going to end this podcast about blowing the whistle on the Navy, and, um, and I will also say this, trust nobody but yourself. Never trust anybody but yourself. When your inner voice tells you not to do something, don't do it. And when your inner voice tells you to do it, do it. But don't do it because somebody else tells you to do it. And with that, Bob out.